Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Okay, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14, and I'll begin reading at verse 16. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Now Saul's watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went here and there. Saul said to the people who were with him, Number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Then Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. While Saul talked to the priests, the commotion in the camp of the Philistines continued and increased. So Saul said to the prophet, withdraw your hand. And Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around in the camp, Even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines had fled, even they also pursued them closely in the battle. So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth-Avon. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day. For Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. All the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under oath. Therefore, he put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. And they struck among the Philistines that day from Michmash to to Aijalon. And the people were very weary. The people rushed greedily upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with blood. And he said, You have acted treacherously. Roll a great stone to me today. Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Each one of you bring me his ox or his sheep and slaughter it here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So all the people that night brought each one his ox with him and slaughtered it there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. 
Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and take spoil among them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. So the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him on that day. Saul said, Draw near here, all you chiefs of the people, and investigate and see how this sin has happened today. For as the Lord lives, who delivers Israel, though it is in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not one of all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord, God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him and said, I indeed tasted a little honey with the end of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I must die. Saul said, May God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, Must Jonathan die, who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. And when Saul had taken the kingdom of Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. He acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishvi and Malkishua, and the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn was Merib, and the name of the younger, Michael. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz, and the name of the captain of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now, the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any mighty man or any valiant man, he attached him to his staff. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Okay, so some review from last time. You remember last time Jonathan and his armor bearer go into battle uh, on their own, essentially, and um, God blesses them, and they come forth from it. And, and now we're turning back to Saul, away from Jonathan. And Saul, Saul you'll remember, has already been told by the prophet, by Samuel, that his kingdom will not endure. Right? So we have to remember that. The prophet has already told him, your kingdom is going to come to an end. And so now we're all waiting uh, for that moment. Um, it will not endure. His sin was what? He did not wait for Samuel to arrive. He didn't wait. He 
got impatient and didn't wait for Samuel to arrive to make the offerings. And then he heaps on top of that sin the excuse-making afterwards. He had a lot of good reasons to sin against God. Right? That's a joke. I mean, but that's what we do. Now we begin to see more of Saul's decline. We see more of his... um, his moving away from the Lord, his uh, attempting to do things outside of the will of God. Um, first thing we see here is Saul determines that it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not in the camp. Um, and then it, it, there's that strange thing. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. Well, we know that the um, there's some confusion about this. They think um, in the commentaries I, I read, they think in saying ark, they're referring to the ephod, and there are comparisons between the ark and the ephod. And if you bring the priest here, he, it's much easier for him to bring the ephod that he would wear than the ark. And so um, in calling it the ark, they may be referring to the ephod as a mini ark or a portable ark or something along those lines. But we know from chapter 7 that the ark is in Kiriath Jearim. And, and so, so there is some confusion there. Um, but then, it's interesting, Saul's interaction with this priest. Saul's interaction with this priest is very brief. Bring the ark. Saul talked to the priest. And then it says there's commotion in the camp of the Philistines. And then what does Saul do? He says, withdraw your hand. Withdraw your hand. In other words, he's there. He's asked the priest to consult God and help him. And in the midst of that, Saul says, basically, stop it. Stop consulting the Lord. Once again, you remember the excuse making that that Saul had last time when he committed that that sin before God when um, and he he said uh, I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come with the appointed within the appointed days and the Philistines were assembling right and so he sees all this commotion going on and he he says I got to offer the sacrifice you offer the sacrifice now he sees a commotion in the Philistines and he tells the priests to stop consulting God withdraw your hand withdraw your hand I mean, that, it is a common temptation, isn't it, for us to, to say to ourselves, withdraw our hand, um, withdraw your hand. This, to me, is all those times during your week, during your month, during the year, when, when you think consulting the Lord in prayer is passivity or unnecessary. Or sort of just icing on the cake of your actions and the strength of your own arm. It's a nice thing to add. But it is not the essential duty that we have to give ourselves to, right? Consulting God, praying to God, asking Him what, what direction we should go in, right? We take action and then pray for God's blessing upon the action we've taken. That is essentially what Saul is doing here. He preempts the 
consulting the Lord so that he can deal with the commotion that's going around him. I mean, how often is that you? There's commotion going around you, you've got to take care of it, and you don't go to the Lord. I mean, that, that is, a, uh, is a common temptation, a temptation that we succumb to quite often. Um, we think seeking counsel, we, th- we think submitting things in prayer to the Lord is passivity or it's unnecessary, and so we just simply go into action and, um, and then tell people, man, that it was intense. You should have seen what was happening around me. You should have seen the circumstances. You should have seen the fires, you know, that had to be put out. And, um, and, then, and only then to consult the Lord. But he, so, so, again, part of this passage is making us see more and more of the, the um, faithlessness of Saul. Okay? Oops, I got... Where am I? There we go. Withdraw your hand. Okay, um, verse 21, it says, Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines, what is that talking about? Well, apparently the, the oppression of the Philistines was so bad that they were conscripting into military service even the Israelites to fight against the Israelites. Okay, and so there were Hebrews and there were Israelites. And this passage, the Hebrews are those who are with the Philistines and the Israelites are the Israelites. And so there were even... Hebrews, um, men of Israel who were fighting on the side of the Philistines, probably not, uh, probably under compulsion. And so they turn um, to be with the Israelites at this time, which is a good thing. And the end result of this is God delivers Israel. God delivers Israel. Even with Saul, having not consulted with him, God is merciful to him. And then it says this in verse 24, Now the men of Israel were fatigued, were hard-pressed, were weighted down on that day. Why were they weighted down? What was going on? What was the problem? They had just been, it's an interesting contrast between 23 and 24, isn't it? 23 says God delivered them that today, day. And then 24, you don't expect, and they were hard-pressed. And they've been delivered. So what was the, the, the pressing matter? I don't want you to get sleepy. I'm making you talk. They were just hungry, right? They were hungry because Saul had made the, the, the army um, take this oath. Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, And until I have avenged myself on my enemies. Cursed be the man who eats food before evening and until I have avenged myself on my my enemies. Now, that shows us Saul's heart right there. The enemies are his, not the Lord's. That's the way he phrases it. It seems as if he's exacting his own revenge. He's, he's taking vengeance into his own hand. And now he's, he's fighting for his own reputation. And then along, you know, and so Saul is not gracious and not merciful to those around him. Um, and hence puts them under this heavy oath. There, there must be nothing worse than 
than heavy labor without food. Um, how encouraging is it in the midst of heavy labor to lift the uh, water to your mouth and to uh, eat the, uh, the beef stew to nourish your body, right? But here he is in the midst of intense conflict, putting them under what seems to be a foolish oath. And then suddenly there appears honey everywhere. <laughs> a test from the Lord, perhaps. Um, honey on the ground. What, what a serious temptation after the oath that they're put under, right? Honey everywhere. And um, how do they respond? How do the people respond? It's, pr- it's pretty extraordinary, right? They remain faithful to the oath. They remain faithful to the oath. They obey, but not Jonathan, who had been off doing the, the hardest part of the fighting. Right? He and his armor bearer going into battle by themselves and then the others coming in afterwards. So he's been fighting longer than the others. He, had, he, he was ignorant of the oath. He hadn't heard it. And he, he comes along, he sees the honey, and he thinks, what a blessing from God. Sticks his staff in the honey, raises it to his mouth. And then I, I love that phrase, and his eyes brightened. You know? His eyes brightened. His countenance changed. He, um, he had been weary and he ate and now his eyes were brightened. Notice verse 29. What does Jonathan say? And this is, this is Jonathan's discernment, but this is, this is also Jonathan's um, judgment here. Being exercised um, in in looking at his father, what does he say? He says, my father has troubled the land. My father has troubled the land. Now think of the consequences of this oath. This oath that, that Saul put the men under so that he could exact his own revenge. These are the main consequences of that oath coming out of it. The slaughter of the Philistines was not great. They got hungry, they got fatigued, they were hard-pressed, they stopped when they could have kept fighting, right? And so the slaughter of the Philistines wasn't as great. Now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great, it says in verse 30. And so God, God wants his enemies dealt with, and this false rash, whatever kind of oath you want to call it, um, has led to a weak, uh, a weak victory. Second, the people were led into sin. How were the people led into sin? Worse sin. People are led into sin. What was it? Eating meat with blood. Eating meat with the blood. Um, and the way they're slaughtering the meat is on the ground. And so the, it just, it's pooling in its own blood, right? That's why Saul says, roll the stone to me this day. And he gets all righteous about the sacrifice at this point, but it's his actions who have led the people to rush upon the spoil to take these sacrifices so that they may have something to eat. They're famished, right? It's his oath that's led the people 
to commit this sin, right? It's the sin of the father, right, leading the son into sin. Okay, and so, so he, he, uh, that's why he says rolled his stone, so that they could slaughter on top of the stone and the blood would drain off of the stone and then onto the ground and they wouldn't eat the meat um, with the, or the blood with the meat. And so it's their hunger that led them to violate the God's commands. They obey Saul now and disobey God. You know, they obeyed the oath and now they're disobeying God. It seems that they, uh, the people, have um, been misled by Saul. Um, we must obey God rather than man. That, that phrase we, we often think of from Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than man. Um, you think that that um, might have informed them on this day. Jonathan was then um, put into this intense predicament, right? He was an oath breaker now. So those three things are the consequences of this one seemingly light sin. He, he made an oath, but it's not light when it is your own vengeance you're trying to reap through that, right? And so through the oath, the slaughter of the Philistines was not great. The enemies of God remain in the land. The people are led into sin. They eat the blood. They, they disobey God. And Jonathan, his very son, was, was sentenced to death. I mean, that's some serious consequences. It hits, it hits the enemies of God. It hits the nation of Israel. And it hits the king's own family. That one oath. It's just everywhere. Saul, notice, notice his response. I don't know how to take this really. In 34, Saul, um, I mean, Saul's been the one to put them under this oath so they don't eat. And then he sees them rushing upon uh, the, the spoil and eating the blood. And then, then he gets gets very righteous about the commands of God. Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, each one of you bring me his ox and his sheep and slaughter it here and eat, and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So all the people that night brought each one his ox with him and slaughtered it there. And Saul, Saul now is, build, is the altar building Saul. Saul, who builds an altar to the Lord. Um, you, you, the people, have acted treacherously, he says. You have acted treacherously in eating the blood. Again, it's deflection. It's deflection away from his own sins. Now Saul inquires of God of the priests. Think of this, very significant. Now we see further the, the degeneracy, the, the fall of Saul. Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But God did not answer him on that day. There's silence now. God does not answer the king. 
Another sign of God's rejection. God then speaks through the casting of lots. We remember um, other situations just like this. Remember when Achan takes spoil from, from uh, Jericho, right? And they go up against Ai and uh, they're, de- they're defeated or pushed back. And then, you know, somebody has sinned and they start drawing lots for families. And it gets right down to Achan's family. And then Achan is exposed as the sinner through the drawing of these lots. Um, Well, in this case, the lots fall to Jonathan. And he's exposed as the one who has, has broken the oath. Saul then says to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. Which is exactly what, or similar to what Samuel had said to Saul back in 13, verse 11. But Samuel said, what have you done? So here is now Saul interrogating his son, and just as Samuel had interrogated him. What have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattered from me. And that's when he gives all of his excuses. Notice the response of Jonathan. What have you done? So so Jonathan told him and said, I tasted honey, the end of the staff. Here I am. I must die. I mean, I mean, he responds in quite a different way than Saul does. He, he recognize, I mean, he recognizes the authority of his father in this. Right, he has, he's already said, my father has troubled the land, but he's also here recognizing the authority of his father, willing to submit even to death. Is he being sarcastic, though? Here I am, I must die. No, I don't think so. I mean, he admits his sin. He admits that he broke this oath. I'm not sure I would call it sin. Right? He, he breaks the oath of his father. It was an unjust oath. I would say. And Saul said to Jonathan, tell me, what I've, tell me what you have done. So Jonathan said to him, I indeed taste a little honey with the end of the staff in my hand. Here I am. I must die. And then Saul, um, Saul seems angry. May God do this to me and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. Now think of the contrast. That, think, think of where we've come. Um, remember chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. When Saul was originally anointed the king, remember there are a lot of scoffers who came along and said, Saul's not going to be a good king. We can't have Saul as our king. And you remember how Saul responded. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men here that we may put him to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. The Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. So no one dies today. Now he's willing to kill his son for breaking an oath that he made on the fly, it seems. He's come... He's come that far. And we're, we're only going to see where his disobedience accumulates. Where his conscience seems to be more seared as he continues to sin over the course of his life. 
And so, I mean, early on in his early on in his uh, kingdom, he was willing to show mercy to his enemies, mercy to his detractors. Now he's willing to kill his son, who ignorantly violated a vindictive, unwise, and rash vow. It's bad, right? It's a long way. It's a long fall. Um, And then wonderfully, mind-bogglingly, the people intercede on behalf of Jonathan. The people get it, and their esteem for Saul is now beginning to diminish. They rescue Jonathan, and they proclaim to Saul that Jonathan has worked on behalf, or it says, has worked with God this day. Jonathan has worked with God this day. So he ate some honey. Show some mercy, man. Must Jonathan die, who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. And then Saul goes up and pursues the Philistines. So once again, the results of Saul's foolish treachery. Philistines get a pass, burdens are placed on the people, and Jonathan nearly dies. Saul is having now, think of it, mercy on God's enemies and placing burdens on God's people. The Philistines get a pass, and the son almost dies. Things have flipped around. Things have, have flipped around. And this is going to become a pattern for all the subsequent kings of Israel once the kingdom is divided. Right? All those kings are going to show um, more mercy to the enemies of God and place terrible burdens on the people, culminating in King Manasseh, at which point there is no return for the people of Israel. It's becoming clear that Saul despises God's commands. This will culminate in the next chapter, right? He thinks he knows better than God. And we hear no concession and no repentance, but only excuses. And then the chapter ends, 14, perplexingly, on all the great accomplishments of King Saul. Right? All the accomplishments he did. Now, you know, why is this here? Um, perhaps it's, it's to, point out, to point out this, that by the judgment of history, you can call Saul successful. But by the judgment of obedience to God, by the judgment of the Word of God, he's an abject failure. He's rebellious against God. So by history's standards, great man. By God's standards, rejected. Um, I mean, how, how, many, how many men, how many women do we know like that? Great men, great women. But in God's eyes, nothing. Nothing. Not a success. Um, at all, heading for a unrelenting judgment. And 
uh, verse 52 proves that there are ongoing ramifications for that one little oath not to eat. This day you don't get to eat leads to verse 52. Now the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Saul. The war against the Philistines was severe. So that action led to severe affliction. So just a few applications from this and we'll be done. One, be zealous for God, not your own reputation. Don't, don't exact vengeance um, for your own reputation as he did. Um, pray before you act. Simple little thing. Pray before you act. Go to God. Read the scripture. Talk to wise counselors. Then act. Right? Talk to your husband. Talk to your wife. Talk to those around you. Talk to your parents. Then act. It will save you a lot of trouble. Children, if you, if you just consulted with your parents more often before you took an action, when you were off by yourself, it might save you some trouble. Um, perhaps it would have saved Saul much trouble here. Remember that your sin leads others to sin. Your sin leads others to sin. Saul's sin led to the people eating blood, okay, breaking the commands of God. They were set up. They were they were exasperated by the sin of Saul, and so they were led into sin. Fathers, husbands, mothers, wives, siblings, friends—we all have influence, okay. And our sin leads others into sin. That that leaven. That leavening effect of sin. Um, also, intercede for those who are unjustly oppressed. The people intercede for Jonathan. He's being unjustly oppressed by the king for eating some honey. Okay? Show some mercy. But, but the people intercede and rescue Jonathan. If the people hadn't interceded, what would Saul have done? Who knows? Something else. So intercede on behalf of the unjustly oppressed by making some phone calls this week. And then fifth, um, obedience is the necessary fruit of faith. Obedience is the necessary fruit of faith. Faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Um, That seems to be the faith of Saul, right? Dead. He offered sacrifices. He built altars. He commanded the people, but he would not obey the Lord. Obedience is the necessary fruit of genuine faith. Right? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would learn from the example that you have set forth Uh, before us in Saul and Jonathan. Father, I pray that um, we would be those who would love you by obeying your commands, that we would uh, express our love for you through obedience. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help reveal to us where we are putting undue burdens on those around us, whether through our attitude, whether through the things we require, whether through um, just our, um, our lack of faith. Uh, 
Father, I pray that you would reveal those things and that we would retract foolish oaths like the one that Saul made. And we would have instead mercy on those around us. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.